Mac Power Users, episode 474, Using the iPad as a Laptop. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. I'm Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, Mr. Hackett. How are you today? I'm doing well. This is an exciting topic. Uh, We've been talking about this, I feel like, since before I started and we're going to get into some iPad nerdiness today. Yeah, we are. We are. And um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I got to uh, use the Marie Kondo language in the outline, which yeah. I've been I've been having a lot of fun with that lately. Just inappropriately using spark joy <laughs> is something that makes me smile. Well, uh, I promise you we will get to that. But first, you have a new version of your Siri Shortcuts uh, it- course out. Yes, I've been hard at work in the uh, screencasting dungeon, and uh, uh, version 1.1 came out this week. It's uh, So Siri Shortcuts, when it came out, it's like a three-hour video course. I don't remember the exact number, but I added another 15 minutes to it, 17 more videos. So, you know, because it's one of those things where Apple has uh, been updating the software. You know, usually you only get updates to Apple stuff at WWDC, but the Siri Shortcuts team is on fire, and... Uh, they're currently beta testing version 2.2. So there's a whole bunch of new features. And then when the course released, there were some people saying, I want some more advanced stuff. And some people say, I want some more beginner stuff. So I was able to scratch all those itches. I remastered all the audio, added 17 new videos, 15 minutes of content. And it's uh, it's up there. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. If you already bought it, thank you, first of all. I really appreciate that. And uh, you, all this is free. Just go and you can log in. You'll see anything that's got a 1.1 in the title. That's uh, That's new stuff. And if you haven't bought it yet and you're interested, I'm going to put up for just one week after this show publishes a, a, a code MPU Siri, no space, MPU Siri. That gets you $10 off, but it's only going to be good for a week after the show publishes. So if you want to get good at Siri shortcuts, if you listen to this episode and suddenly like, oh, yeah, I want to do iPad stuff, mm-hmm. Siri shortcuts is a good way to go. Yeah. And you're totally right about them improving it as they go along. It's like every six or eight or 10 weeks or something, there's a new version that has new features, new capabilities. So uh, I'm excited to dig into that. Something that always scares me, you know, is Apple always does have that kind of new hotness uh, thing where whatever the latest and greatest thing is, they'll put a lot of effort into it. And then at some point they stop. Sure. And I really am hopeful that a lot of people use Siri shortcuts because I think Apple's definitely looking at how much use it's getting. But I can tell you one of the reasons why I can replace a laptop with an iPad is because of Siri shortcuts. Yeah. So let's let's move into that. So today we're going to talk about the iPad as a, a notebook replacement. And I think we want to set some some ground rules, some assumptions for the rest of this conversation. Yes. This is not iPad versus Mac. You know, this people like to make this some sort of holy war. I don't see it that way. You certainly don't see it that way. But this is sort of assuming that, you know, you have a Mac somewhere in your life and you're just looking to make your iPad your maybe your primary portable computer. Is that fair? Yeah, we're not going full Federico on you here. Uh, what we're talking about is you've got a Mac, right? And it's, maybe it's an maybe it's an iMac on your desk, maybe it's um, a Mac Mini, or maybe it's a laptop. But you also want to do some remote computing, uh, where traditionally you might have an an iMac plus a laptop. Can you at this point go iMac plus an iPad? That that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, which is a really compelling use case because then you kind of get the best of both worlds, right? If you have Mac specific needs, like a lot of people still do, 
you can do all of that on your big screen at your desk. But then if you just want to go out, you can take something really light and really portable. So that's kind of how we're approaching this subject. And so there's a lot of angles into this. We're going to cover uh, a lot of them, but there's always more to this conversation that people want to add to it. But this is kind of where we are in this episode. Yeah. And we even covered this on Mac Power Users over two years ago. And at the time, I felt the scales were weighed heavily in favor of laptop over over iPad. And that's really changed in a lot of ways. I mean, it, obviously, there's going to be people... We're, in this episode, we're going to really try and find the good parts and the bad parts, the parts mm-hmm. that spark joy and the sure. parts that don't. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to talk about that because I think depending on where you are in the world, it could or could not make sense to you. Hopefully, by the end of the episode, you'll have a good idea of that. Uh, but it, to me, I, I think it, kind of a... Uh, to go to an opening statement kind of thing. I feel like when the iPad showed up, I had so much hope for this thing. You know, I, I wrote the first, one of the very first books about getting work done on an iPad for Wiley press the year it came out where I, I did the thing where I didn't use a laptop and I tried to use the iPad when you had to connect it with a copper wire to your computer to transfer documents to it. You know, it was, it was rough going at the beginning, but I saw that potential and to be honest, I am disappointed this far down the road that um, there still are some of the problems we're going to talk about today. Uh, I feel like it's been too slow, uh, but it does seem like Apple is getting the memo and, and moving things along not as fast as I'd like, but but they are moving. I, I, think that's, I think that's fair, and I think that's where I am with it, too. I think at the beginning, you know, Apple sort of pitched the iPad as this thing in between your phone and your laptop. That's how Steve Jobs introduced it. And maybe in the beginning, it was closer to the phone end of things, and then it's gotten more powerful, and it's definitely closer to a notebook. But I still think Apple, they say it's the future of, like a vision of the future of computing. But with that comes certain things when it is rooted in like a phone operating system. So that you see those growing pains. We've talked a lot about, you know, what we want to see this year. But uh, this episode is sort of, you know, where it is today and some ways in which it is more convenient or better than a MacBook. And then maybe in some ways uh, where it's not not quite there yet. And um, I'll give the, I'll give Apple cr- credit here. You know, they are they've kept their foot down on this. Yes, it's kind of every other year with big iOS releases for the iPad, but they are continuing to make it better and more versatile. And I think that will continue long into the future. Well, it seems to me like they put their foot down through one intersection and then they glide through the next one yeah. before they put their foot down again. <laughs> but it's like a, maybe it's really hilly town, you know, and you got to yeah, build up speed or something. <laughs> I, the, the analogy breaks down at some point. Yeah, I know. But the, um, and I'll tell you, I am living the life. Um, I, I've talked about this on the show a bit off and on, but last year, I don't even remember when, but I think it was fairly early last year. Uh, and Stephen, you're the historian. What was the year that they made the MacBook Air really awesome? You know, you had the first one with the uh, that wasn't so great. Then yeah. that second generation one. The first one had that little flip down door with the ports. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was going to say that, but I thought I was going to get too yeah. in the weeds. It's, yeah, the, the Star Trek, you know, yeah, um, quite the scene. Yeah, that that would have been yeah. the fall of 2010 when they went to the 13 and the 11, sort of the yes. one that everybody bought. You know. So I, so I had the 2010 13-inch MacBook Air that I used for two or three years mm-hmm. and then had it down to my daughter. And last year, that thing was like one of those old World War II bombers that would come in, 
you know, it'd come back from the mission and have a lot of holes shot into sure. it. And this one just kind of, it landed last year and said, I'm not getting off the ground again. <laughs> you know, it just, yeah. it gave up on her, but you know, we got, we definitely got our money's worth out of that computer. Definitely. Uh, so I had a, um, a 12 inch MacBook that I'd had for a couple of years. And I, um, and I realized that number one, it didn't have the most recent update to the Mac OS on it because I hadn't turned it on. Wow. And then one day I went to do client meetings because I, I was bringing my iPad with me to client meetings and I accidentally brought, because it's about the same size when you put it in a, in the little leather case, it's about the same size as the iPad. So I literally brought the wrong device. And so the whole day I was taking client notes on the, the MacBook, I was reaching up to touch the screen, you know, and I just realized, you know, I don't think I need this thing that much. So, so I gave it to her. I didn't, instead of buying a new computer, we just gave her mine. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so I've been using the iPad as my secondary computer for some time. And there's, there's a lot to like about it. Yeah. It's, it, I wish I could be there, but at the same time, I wish I wasn't there. So like my feelings about the iPad have always been complicated. I like it for a lot of tasks and we'll get into some of them, but Often my tasks stray, even on a notebook, stray into things that the that are Mac only or are much more fluid on the Mac. So I have an iPad. I use it as a notebook replacement, you know, around town or at home. But when I travel, which is when I primarily use my MacBook Pro, uh, you know, it's basically all Mac because I'm doing shows or, you know, whatever it may be, more production work. And I understand my use case is really pretty narrow, pretty niche, but... For me, it it is the iPad's a notebook replacement some of the time, but not all of the time. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. You know, I mean, I was just reflecting on our recent trip to Chicago together. I gave uh, two presentations at the ABA. Both of them had the iPad there. Connect HDMI. I'm good. Um, the uh, I did some client work while I was there. I did some publishing while I was there. Didn't do any screencasting. But then I went to the live event. I had my uh, Google Doc open with the show outline with my iPad. And then I was sitting next to you. And you had a 13-inch MacBook Pro that was running all sorts of advanced recording stuff because we're not going to have another lost MPU episode. In fact, you told me right before we started, I'm recording on um, – you, ha you had a, a – a actual recording device there, but you were also recording on the Mac. Right. And I was thinking, there's no way you could have done that with the iPad. Yeah. yeah. So it, a lot of this depends on your sort of individual needs. And that's, again, that's totally fine. This isn't some sort of battle between the two sides. It's just about some, the one device is better for some type of tasks and some types of types of users. And yeah, for the stuff you use, it sounds like it's been uh, a big win. It has, but there are certain things I can't do as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, but before we get to that, let, let's talk a little bit about why this is even a question. Because um, there are certain things that the Mac is absolutely better at, but there's also some benefits to an iPad as a re remote, remote device that you frankly don't get with a laptop computer. Um, and I think that really starts with portability and flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the iPad can be a tablet, just like a sheet of glass in your hands, or you can put it with a keyboard, or you can put it in a stand. Like you can just put it in all of these different sort of scenarios. And on the the other side of the fence, on the PC side of the fence, companies are making two in ones and three in ones that run Windows and do all this stuff. But if you're in the Apple camp, then the Mac can't do that. The Mac doesn't have a touchscreen. The Mac the laptop and the keyboard are firmly attached on my MacBook Pro. They don't come apart. And with the iPad, it can sort of meld itself into whatever 
you need it to be. You know, one thing I always sort of get a chuckle out of if you if you go um, go out into the world, like where like how you see iPads being used, you see them used as cash registers. I've been in buildings where they they operate like a AV system, and the there's like an iPad mounted in the wall. It's like you go up and touch it and do the lights and the sound stuff. Like it, it can be kind of whatever you need it to be because the the hardware is so thin and so light with that great battery life, right? You can kind of put it where you need it. Yeah, I have a client that's kind of fancy, and they have iPads on next to each of their conference rooms. And you reserve time mm-hmm. in the conference room. You see who's in there based on a, a touch interface. Uh, but also just like as a person who tries to get their work done on the road, there is something to be said for, the, especially in the current iteration of the iPad Pro, it is truly just a screen. And... When I got on an airplane uh, for my most recent trip, you know, every time you get on the airplanes, the in, the the seats are an inch narrower, and the the seat in front of you is an inch closer. I think it's like a a huge gaslighting thing going on that none of us are supposed to know about. <laughs> and then they always like, and then the guy in front of me, of course, well, he was reclined before we took off, and I'm like, this is going to be terrible. But you know, with my iPad, it wasn't a big deal. I was able to pull it out, work at my seat, get plenty of work done on the plane. Whereas like. Even a 12-inch MacBook, just the idea that you've got to clamp, you've got to open up a screen and have room for the keyboard, I'm not sure it would have worked on that plane. I, I, you know, I haven't used a laptop on an airplane for a long time, but even when I was carrying a laptop, I pretty much gave up on the idea years ago. Yeah, it is trickier and trickier. And if travel is a big part of your life and part of your sort of situation, that's a huge, you know, benefit that the iPad can bring. And even with a 13 inch MacBook pro, I've been in situations where I need to edit a show on a plane. It's like, it's not happening. That's like, I sit it in my lap and I'm like hunched over it. And you know, an iPad would be a lot easier to deal with. And another, a related benefit, I think of the iPad, a reason to consider it is battery life. Mm -hmm. It, It just, it just runs circles around a MacBook's battery life. I mean, I, I still feel like, you know, Apple, for some reason, and this is true, I think, for a lot of PC makers, that I feel like the battery life estimates are off by like a factor of two. If like <laughs> they tell you it's going to last five hours, you're going to get like two and a half out of it. But that's not true with the iPad. It truly does get about 10 hours. So that's great. And you- and it's more, at least in my in my experience, iPad battery life is more consistent than Mac battery life. You know, a Mac, yeah. because the CPU has a much broader range of speeds. It can turbo up. And if, if you're doing something heavy duty on a Mac, like editing Logic or browsing in Chrome or something that's going to be more CPU and RAM intensive, you can watch that battery meter deplete more quickly. And that may be a reflection on the type of work that I do on an iPad, that I'm not editing audio or video on an iPad. But for the types of uses I think that we're talking about, at least again, at least for me, my iPad Pro is extremely consistent in battery life. I'm rarely surprised by it. Where sometimes I'm working on my MacBook Pro and I look up into the mini bar, I'm like, oh, oh no, like I need to I need to find a charger here pretty soon, rather unexpectedly. And that that can be a, a bummer depending on where you are and what you have with you. Yeah. Another benefit is the always on internet, yes. assuming you get the cellular one. I mean, I, I get a lot of lifts. Um to uh, to meetings and things and i like to work in the back seat and it's great because i don't have to worry about it i just turn the ipad on and i'm plugged in and ready to go and emails i send get immediately sent updates i did to omnifocus before i left are already on my ipad it, you know the 
you can't really understate the value of zero like zero work to get to the internet. You know, you don't have right. to go find the Wi-Fi password. You, you know, you don't have to, it's just, it's really great. And, um, uh, if you are going to get serious about trying to use an iPad as a separate device like this, I would recommend get the one with the cellular. Go ahead. I know it costs, you know, I, I pay an extra $10 a month for it, but it's totally I, worth it. I agree. I've had LTE for a long time on iPads and it's, it's fantastic. And it makes me wish for LTE on something like the MacBook or even the MacBook Air or MacBook Pro, but you can tether, but it's not the same. It, it's I, clunky and sort of, you know, then you're like also using your iPhone battery while trying to get internet to your computer where an iPad is just a little switch away in control center. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing that I, I mean, I'm just going to pile on here for a little sure. bit. We're going to, we're going we're to have a lot of complaints later, <laughs> but the, another thing I really like is the, the Apple pencil. I mean, I find that I have all sorts of uses for that now. Um, uh, I use it to take notes. You know, when people talk to me, I, I can write things down. Uh, good notes is just so great. And we talked about that in the live show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also use it for interface. You know, uh, like I have a lot of stuff I'm managing in OmniFocus. And using the pencil, I can tap through them much faster than I can with a finger. So I, you know, I find uses for it there. Um, I, just, you know, having the, the pencil is great. Like when you get stuck on a plane, that's another one. You can hold the iPad in your lap and write with the pencil and it works fine. So, um, I, I do think that if, you know, it's, it's one of the, and it's something that just doesn't exist for the Mac. So if you're going to try this, you, you got to go all in. Yeah. N- nothing even close on the Mac really, unless you <laughs> buy some sort of tablet to plug into it, but then it's not really a notebook anymore. Right. Then it's like a, a whole setup. So something that, yeah, that I, the MacBook I, definitely lacks behind. I did something online the other day where they it was like a, a web service and they wanted me to sign their form using the trackpad. Mm. And man, that is that is one messed up signature if you look <laughs> at it. A large part of this story is, of course, the software, right? We've talked a lot about the hardware, but yeah. the software, the operating system, the app ecosystem, this is really where people's individual needs come into play, where if you have an application you need to use or a workflow you need to execute – that's not available on iOS, then the decision's kind of made for you, at least in terms of that particular day. But I think part of it that you brought up in the show notes that I I hadn't really thought about, but makes a lot of sense is like the maintenance angle. Yeah. You just don't get as many weird problems with an iPad. I mean, we have a lot of complaints about the iPad being limited, but one of the benefits of those limitations are, is you just don't have things like font corruptions or like, you know, a few weeks ago where my documents folder just disappeared and I had to spend an hour sorting that out. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, in my experience, just doesn't happen on iPad. Once you start doing stuff on iPad, that's just not something you have to worry about. Yeah, you know, the, the iOS ecosystem, like from the original iPhone forward, was born from technology on the Mac, right? The underlying stuff is the same, but the way it's implemented is so different. And apps and services can do things on the Mac that are just impossible for them to do on iOS. And yes, that leads to limitations. But on, on the Mac, things can get kind of sideways. I mean, just this scroll through the tech support section of our own forums. <laughs> it's all sorts of yeah. interesting, yeah. Uh, interesting to me, not to the person having them probably, but interesting problems and things to fix. And I would say the Mac is better at that than ever w- with things like system integrity protection and hiding the library folder. But the the possibility of problems on the Mac is greater. And if you're the type of user that just doesn't want to deal with that, or maybe you have someone you're, you're buying a system for 
and you know that maybe they're the type of person – I have one of these in my family – that every piece of technology they touch breaks in a new and interesting way. It's like maybe go with iOS for that person and, and not have the complexity of the Mac uh, so they can't get into trouble. It's an interesting angle and one that from like a reliability standpoint, like you were saying, if you're traveling and doing presentations or meetings or something and you just need – your thing to work all the time, the the iPad is going to get you closer to that than the Mac, even though the Mac is really pretty good too. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, the, these are subtle differences, but for people who are not Mac power users or, you know, they're not a, don't have a former genius on their, you know, speed dial, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's tough when you do hit, hit a problem and you don't know how to solve it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, on the, on the iPad, the, the biggest problem is usually solved by turning it off and on again. You know, that's totally, you know, and that, that's something to be said. And, uh, you know, but like I said, this is really a function of limitations as the operating system gets more powerful, which I really hope it does. I expect that that's, you're going to start to see creep of, of more complex issues and troubleshooting problems on the iPad. So I, it's a thing, but at least for right now, it's very easy to own one of these and operate it without having a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. But, you know, despite all that, that doesn't mean it works for everyone. You know, there there's some people who just prefer the Mac, which totally makes sense. Uh, I grew up using a Mac. Uh, there's a lot about the Mac I definitely prefer. Um, I'm not going to be getting rid of my Mac anytime soon, despite the fact that I'm using the iPad quite a bit. Sometimes it's a thing where you do, you need software that just doesn't exist for the iPad. I mean, the thing about the live show, there is recording software for the iPad. I was thinking about it while we were talking, but there's nothing that would allow you to do the type of recording you were doing with multiple tracks and multiple recordings. It's just the iPad is too simple. It it couldn't do that. And I don't even think it's hardware possible to have an audio recording while you're off working in Google Docs with me to make a good show at the same time. So, you know, it's, it's not possible for a lot of people. And then... Um, there's also even, I think, a, a good group of people who need functionality in the operating system that iOS just isn't there yet. And we've got a list of, of those complaints in this episode we're going to talk about. And if any of those are game you know, changers for you, or I guess or I would say deal killers for you, then really the, uh, the mobile iPad lifestyle probably isn't for you yet. Uh, and, that, and again, that's totally fine. <laughs> trying really hard not to inflame people here. Yeah. Uh, So let's talk about some hardware stuff, but first, let me tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and then filters out the other stuff, the stuff that's not important to you, the stuff that's distracting, the stuff you don't want, and it can save you hours a week. It works with all kinds of email programs and services, so you're not locked into some special app or special set of, you know, settings here or there. Uh, you can use what you want where you want to. That's really great. Sandbox has incredible email filtering. They, they put these folders into your email account, and they all have special little superpowers. So you have Sane Later. So this is where mail goes instead of your inbox, stuff that Sandbox thinks, well, maybe this doesn't really matter. So for me, I just check my Sane Later folder several times a week. There's stuff in there but it's not critical enough to rise to the inbox. Then there's the same black hole where you can unsubscribe with a single click. So you get those annoying emails over and over. You can drag them into the same black hole and you're never going to hear from that person again. 
You can snooze email. So if you need to deal with something next week or tomorrow or whenever, snooze it and it'll come back at the appointed time. And they have this cool thing called Sane Reminder. So you can CC different email addresses and SaneBox will do the right thing. So for instance, if you sent something to me and you wanted to follow up in a week, you can CC one week at SaneBox.com. And if I don't reply, then you'll get a reminder saying, hey, Stephen hasn't emailed you back and you could follow up with me. But you could pick any time frame. You could say April 15th at SaneBox.com. And get a reminder then. It's really powerful once you start digging into it. And it's more than just filtering. So you can do things like move attachments to Dropbox or other cloud services if your email provider doesn't have a lot of storage space. There's a lot of great ways to make email better. SaneBox has various pricing plans, and they start as low as about $4 a month. And there's a 14-day free trial. SaneBox.com slash MPU is where you want to go. You'll receive a $25 credit on any plan. And again, you can use that 14-day free trial and 66% of MPU listeners who try SaneBox end up subscribing. So I bet you'll love it too. Head on over to sanebox.com slash MPU to receive $25 credit on any plan. Our thanks to SaneBox for the support of the Mac Power users. Okay, so let's say you want to give this a try and use an iPad as your secondary mobile device. Um, which one? <laughs> that's the starting yeah. point, right? That's a great. It's uh, a great I, question. I mean, I've been talking about the iPad Pro this whole episode because I love the new iPad Pro. But I gotta say, I think the standard nine point seven inch iPad Apple makes is probably the for bang for the buck, probably the best product Apple sells. I I I agree. It's a great device. It's powerful. It's fast. It has a nice display on it. And you can't go wrong at 329 bucks. And I think some people in our circles look at that as the iPad you buy for the kid or whatever. I, I That's fine. But anyone starting out on the iPad, it's a great place to start, especially when you consider jumping to the iPad Pro is such a large price difference. Now, you get things for the extra money, right? You do get a faster device with a larger screen, has the new design, it has USB-C, which we'll talk about. I think for me, the Biggest difference to consider is on the keyboard front. If you want to use something like the smart keyboard, you got to go with the iPad Pro, right? Because the iPad doesn't have that connector. You're, you're kind of stuck with Bluetooth keyboards. So if you want something a little more all-in-one, the iPad Pro is maybe where you need to head. But again, you're going to pay for that. So both are good depending on what you want. Yeah, and I, and I would honestly, I, I would not trade my iPad Pro for the 9.7 for a lot of the reasons you just said. But... Uh, I you know I was just thinking about percentages while you're talking. I feel like for about a third of the price, you get about seventy five percent of the functionality. Um, it's like if you're listening to this and say, "Well, I might want to try this," you can do it for three hundred dollars. And if you've got an extra Bluetooth keyboard in the house, you're good. You know, it's it's not that it's not that expensive mm-hmm. to to give this a shot. And maybe that's where you you start it. And then you know, if you really get into it, then you can sell the uh, 9.7 and buy the fancier one or hand it down or whatever. But the, um, but I, I wouldn't just write off the nine, the 9.7 is not a device incapable of doing remote work. It, it, like I said, I think it's like 75% of the functionality. It's a little slower. The screen is smaller. So you lose some things there, but man, it can run probably just about every app that we're going to be talking about on this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so so you got to pick which one. Uh, go in for the budget, the three twenty nine, or get yourself one of those sexy screaming iPad Pros 
feels like there's no bezel. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to like about it. Mm-hmm. And and even then, I think the same thing, 11 inch, 12.9, doesn't matter. You can get the work done with either one. Just, just, just pick whatever you want. I mean, for me, if you're really torn between the sizes, I'd try to go to an Apple store and like try them out. I think that you will gravitate towards one or the other. Yeah. If you're going to be doing a lot of like productivity type work, one advantage of the bigger one is you get full-sized apps on in split screen. And um, that that's, that's a big deal, or it can be if you're going to really be trying to use this as your mobile workstation. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, so you need that. I do think if you're going to make this work, you need a keyboard. And uh, Stephen was mentioning earlier, the iPad Pros have the smart keyboard. Uh, I have one. I think it's great on my 12.9. I had one on the prior uh, 10.5-inch iPad. I liked it on that, too. Stephen, have you got any strong feelings either way about the uh, Apple uh, smart keyboard? Yeah, it's, it's what I have on my iPad. It's not my favorite keyboard in the world to type on, but it wins for me because it's always connected to the iPad as a cover. With like the, the magnetic attachments are really nice. It doesn't add too much bulk or weight, even on the big iPad Pro. And, you know, it's just sort of like nicely integrated where I can just pick it all up and go. But it does lack some things that you know, I, I do find a little annoying sometimes, like brightness keys and volume keys. And I think if you want... More than that, the bridge keyboards are a nice way to go. They're heavier. They're built out of aluminum. The new ones actually for like the the new iPad Pros that came out last year, uh, those keyboards will start shipping here sometime during the late spring. So they're not out quite yet. But I know the previous generation bridge keyboards were really popular among people doing a lot of work on the iPad because it gives you sort of a more full-featured keyboard. But I don't think by any means you have to go to something like this. I think the smart keyboard can take care of almost anyone's needs. But if you want a little bit more, it's a it's a nice option. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I, I think the smart keyboard is fine. I've been using one, like I said, on both devices. I don't have any problem typing on it. Um, I kind of like the fact that it's so protected mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, all the problems with the MacBook keyboards. The The smart keyboard is the exact opposite. You could probably, you know, spill a, a glass of fruit punch on the thing <laughs> yeah. and wipe it off it's all, and keep using it. It's all it, covered you know? up by that fabric. And yeah, yeah, it's nice. And, and it is because it's just attached with magnets, unlike something like the bridge or like Logitech offers several where the iPad sort of like clips into it somehow. You can just like get rid of the smart keyboard in just a second and just have like the naked iPad really quickly. And that's nice, too, because sometimes you just want to to sit back with just the iPad and have the keyboard, you know, on your nightstand or something. So if you want to use that like back and forth, then the smart keyboard comes out ahead for me. Yeah. And I do that all the time. As someone who likes the pencil, I am constantly taking the iPad off of the keyboard and just using uh, the iPad, you know, without any case on it and a pencil. So uh, you got to decide what works for you. I did order a bridge because everybody keeps talking about it. So I'm going to give one a try. Um, so I guess we'll talk about that whenever they start shipping. Yeah, I'd love to hear your impressions of it. I know like Jason Snell, Federico Tucci, Mike Hurley, they've all used them in the past and really spoke highly of them. I have to feel like I'm not going to be really happy with the the time it takes to unhinge it, you know, to take it out of the bridge keyboard. Uh, it feels to me like something that's best used if you keep it in there semi-permanently. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll see. But anyway, I'm going to try it. And, and I just don't get that upset about keyboards, honestly. You know, I don't care that much <laughs> if it you know you know some people are very and i get it but it's just not me uh apple pencil i think is another thing you should get if you're going to try this out whether you get the basic ipad or the ipad pro they both have apple pencil support although they're different apple pencils 
And like I was saying earlier, I find all sorts of uses for it. Um, I didn't even mention like all the photo editing stuff I do with pencil and yeah, it's just, it's really great. So you should, you should get the whole experience. I think. Yeah. Go all in <laughs> the, the, the pencil's great and you don't have to be an artist or an illustrator to really enjoy it. So I'm neither of those things. I don't draw on my iPad. I do some handwritten notes, but a lot of times I'm just using the pencil just to get around the interface, right? If you're playing a game or working in a, a document, it gives you a level of precision that you don't necessarily have with something like your index finger. So don't feel like you like the Apple Pencil isn't for you if you're not like illustrating comic books or, or something. It really is useful in all sorts of ways. And with the new iPad Pros, it just clips on the top, so you're not going to lose it very easily. It's it's really nice. Uh, accessory and one that I, I honestly I bought the new one so I could talk about it, but I found myself using it a lot more than I ever anticipated. And I didn't even mention when I'm wearing my lawyer hat, I read a lot of contracts and the pencil plus a PDF app that is golden. I mean, it's so much better than doing it on a Mac. So anyway, uh, what about Dongle Town? You're going to have to go to Dongle Town if you want to do this. It depends on what you want to do, and so the. That 329 iPad has a lightning port, and Apple sells a bunch of adapters on their store, lightning to USB 3, to SD card slot, to HDMI. These all have power pass-throughs. So if you, if you need to bring like photos in from a camera, you're going to need one of these. If you want to use a USB device, so like a USB keyboard, or maybe you have a camera that hooks up via USB, you're going to need an adapter. Honestly, though, for me, even with the USB-C iPad, I don't find myself using adapters hardly at all. And it, it may be that I don't, I don't do the tasks that require them, obviously, but don't, I don't think it's as necessary in the iPad world as it is if you buy a MacBook Air and you know where people just have a tendency to plug more things into a Mac than they do an iPad. For me, the USB-C port is an interesting part of this equation where it doesn't it hasn't, at least at this point, really unlocked much more past what a lightning port could do. But, you know, I think maybe that could change with software. But I don't think you've got to have a, a bag of dongles around to make an iPad useful. I just sent you a picture of my dongle town. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> the, the, uh, and you can see, because I was doing work off iPads with lightning ports for so long, I have like, I've got the full collection we can put it in the show notes. It's kind of funny. I've got the full collection. I've got duplicates of some because I'd like go to an event and forget one and I'd have to buy another one to uh, to make sure I was doing a speaking gig or something. And uh, and I haven't gone nearly as far down that road with USB-C. And uh, uh, so we'll see. I, I do think it's a software problem at this point. You know, we'll talk later about some limitations. And even though the iPad Pro has USB-C port, it's not as functional as a USB-C port on a Mac, and, and that's really a problem. Mm -hmm. I love how, I just love how nice and tidy these dongles are. This is incredible. I thought you'd appreciate it. Now, when you when you come visit me, I'm going to have to show you my drawers. You're going to really like my drawers. Yeah. Uh, that's in the show notes, people to look at and enjoy. I'd say make it the wallpaper on your MacBook or your iPad. Just <laughs> you can live with it all the time. <laughs> Uh, something else cool that you can do with an iPad, and you can do this with the USB-C you know, Mac, but it's a, it's a little more difficult, is using like an external portable battery pack, right? So something that the, even though the iPad battery life is really good, we all end up in those situations where we need a little more juice. And again, you can do this on something like 
a MacBook Air or, or you know, another USB-C enabled Mac notebook, but they generally require more power than what some battery banks can offer. You got to kind of get into the details about USB-C power delivery and a whole, whole bunch of stuff. But the iPad has is, is got a lower threshold there. And this has definitely saved my bacon before traveling, both with the phone and the iPad, to have a big battery bank in my backpack. You get stuck in an airport somewhere and you, you know you can't find the single working outlet in the entire airport, then you're not stranded without it. And again, just a small nicety that makes the iPad uh, more friendly to work with. Yeah, it's like if you buy one of those really big anchor batteries, like the 28,000, um, I forget the unit of it. It's milliamp hours, I think is the unit. But either you get like the 28,000 with a uh, with a MacBook, MacBook Pro, you're buying yourself some hours of additional use. And with an iPad, it's like you're buying additional days of use with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's great. Uh, anyway, uh, so so one of the things I do like about this mobile iPad lifestyle here is you really don't have to carry a lot of gear. You don't have to carry a power brick. I mean, I I go on the road with the iPad all the time. I uh, if I'm going overnight, obviously I'll bring something to charge it up overnight. But when I'm going out for the day, I've it's never occurred to me to bring power with me beyond maybe a battery. But I don't even bring that, honestly. It just works. Whereas with a laptop, you've always got to bring the, the cord and the power brick and all the other stuff. And, you know, you get a, a keyboard cover or a simple keyboard and a pencil, and you're basically good. So it doesn't take a lot of room in your bag. And uh, and I like that about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, you, you don't even need like a full-blown backpack like you do with a MacBook Pro where you have a big bulky power adapter and all this extra stuff. Yeah. It's really great if you if you want to be on the go. Yeah. Um, if you, uh, if you want, like, if you want to use it as an external display, uh, it's a, you know, this is a sponsor of ours sometimes. In fact, I think they're a sponsor today. Uh, Luna display makes a really cool device. You can plug into a Mac and then basically use your iPad to drive a Mac, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Um, the, um, I, I know, uh, when we, we asked about it in the forums and there was some talk there and, and I've, I've heard from people in the past that also argue the ergonomics of the iPad don't really make sense as a portable device. Uh, that's an interesting point, and one honestly that I struggle with a little bit. So, the iPad on its own, you know, with a keyboard attached, in particular, you know, it is very much like a notebook. But the the viewing angles aren't necessarily as good. You have fewer options there. But I think I think most of these complaints are in context of using a desktop where you have a display you know, up higher, you're not hunched over. And yes, on its own, the iPad isn't as good there, but you can do things like put it in a stand or have it on, you know, up on a stack of books or something, or maybe you wouldn't necessarily do that with a, with a Mac notebook. Uh, for me, where I sort of hit this wall is the times that I've edited podcasts on the iPad with Ferrite using the Apple Pencil. For me, just after a little while, I find that uncomfortable. I find that I want to do that with a keyboard and a mouse and a trackpad and looking straight ahead and not looking down. But because the iPad is so portable, you you can get around this. But again, it's a concern that's really personal. And depending on where you are with, with these sort of issues, it could be a really good thing to have an iPad or a really not so good thing. Yeah, I mean, as a touch typist, I've always had trouble with the typing on glass uh-huh. with an iPad. 
And, you know, I've tried. I've tried so often. Uh, Fraser Spears was on our show years ago, and he was talking about how his students, he had, you know, one of the first one-to-one iPad programs at his school. And occasionally one of his students would come back from Christmas break and someone gave him a Bluetooth keyboard. And he said always within a few weeks they would have abandoned it and gone back to just typing on the glass. Wow. And then I got thinking, wow, it must be maybe, is it an old guy thing? Am I too cranky <laughs> about this? So, And I don't want to be that guy. So I, I would intentionally leave the keyboard home and try to use it just typing on glass for like weeks at a time. And I just never get that good at it. I know that they've got the autofill stuff and... um. You know, it's just never as good for me as an actual keyboard. Yeah, I, I feel the same way you do. Where I, I now I can type on glass, and I'm not particularly slow at it, but I prefer the feel of a keyboard. You know, you find myself sort of getting lost on the glass keyboard. You look down, and you're off of the home row or out in no yeah. land. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I would say the dictation is great, so it's it's a nice alternative. People don't realize it's there. But I'll stop banging that drum. <laughs> okay. Hey, let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor today, and that's our friends over at Smile Software and the excellent Text Expander application. Text Expander allows you to copy and paste in an efficient way to keep track of the things you type again and again. Text Expander makes you more productive by taking care of all of those words and phrases for you. Text Expander works in all your apps, so you can use it everywhere, like Microsoft Word, Excel, Adobe Illustrator, InDesign, even Apple's Pages. You just start typing a phrase, and bloop, it fills in for you. All your snippets are everywhere. Text Expander updates new and edited snippets between your Mac, iPhone, iPad, Windows, PC instantly. So if you make a change in one place, it just shows up at the other place. So you can spend less time typing and more time doing what you really want. They've got free snippet groups for all sorts of people, whether you're a job recruiter, freelancer. They've got airport codes, which is kind of fun, uh, brand names and more at the Text Expander website. I've got a bunch myself over at uh, maxsparky.com slash TE snippets. And um, just overall, it allows you to get your work done faster. You don't have to work alone. Text Expander for Teams lets you manage and share snippets with your coworkers and your entire company. The Max Sparky Empire, I, I'm, I'm holding up air quotes. I don't know if you can see that in an advertisement, <laughs> but I'm doing that. I, I, have a, I have an account for my assistant, and it's great because when I do customer support stuff on some of my videos, uh, you know, when links change or whatever, I can just update those, and she knows all the snippets. She doesn't always necessarily know that I've updated them, you know, and it's great. It just works. Um, so you can stay consistent and stay accurate with Text Expander. It just does so much more than search and replace with text. I, I mean, when I, people say, well, I've got it in a, you know, text edit document or whatever, they just don't know what they're missing out on. And uh, so you, as a Mac Power Users listener, you can get 20% off your first year. Just head over to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Once again, that's textexpander.com slash podcast. It's a great app. It's a great way to, to get work done faster. Uh, check it out and let them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power Users. Okay, as promised, you can now use your new favorite phrase. Spark joy. Actually, my favorite way to use it is uh, does not spark joy. 
That's that's my you know when I have something that makes me unhappy. I'm like, oh, that does not you like, spark you joy. You like the, the negative, the negative. Yeah, the side negative. Of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. When I was working on the outline, it just seemed like it makes sense because people do get quite passionate when you start talking iPad versus Mac. So. They, they do, and and this is sort of where we shift into the conversation of software and workflows. And there's always been, I feel like, sort of a home base for iPad usage. Things that from the very beginning, you know, that first one and a half pound, 9.7 inch iPad, things that, that it was good at that have continued, you know, all the way down the line today. And I think for a lot of people that starts with writing that the iPad is for a lot of people, a really good machine to do, you know, sit down and just make words happen. And you saw that with the original iPad, they had that weird keyboard, like vertical keyboard dock. You put the iPad in, it had a hardware keyboard attached to it. And now, of course, we have the smart keyboard, but more of it, to me at least, is with the software that not only are there a lot of really good text editors and word processors on the iPad, but the iPad becomes the app that it's running. So if I open something like Pages or Microsoft Word or IA Writer, then my iPad has become a text editor. It's become a word processor. And if I put it in Do Not Disturb mode or I put it in Airplane mode, you know, I'm not getting notifications coming in unless I force it into multitasking. I'm only going to see one app at a time. And for a lot of people, myself included, that's a really conducive environment to writing and one that I, quite frankly, really enjoy spending time in. Yeah. You know, for me, there was a, a device I used all through law school. It was called the Radio Shack WP2. I'm putting a note in here for you to check it out because I know this is going to push Steven's buttons. Let's see. Uh but it's a uh, it was a little it was a little portable computer. Mm-hmm. It had a keyboard, and I think it was an eight line liquid crystal display. And it was something like the for each character it was like a sixteen by sixteen grid. All it did was write text files. Mm-hmm. You know, you could sit there and write. And and when I was going, I went to law school. You know, I was a scholarship kid at a fancy school. And there were lots of people there with lots of money and me. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, I'll never forget the first day of law school. I drove up and there were all these Mercedes and BMWs and I had my Plymouth Duster, you know, yeah, <laughs> I would like, you know, it sounded like it sounded like my uh, my daughter's MacBook Air was running right before it quit. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so I had this thing. I think I paid a hundred bucks for it. It's awesome. It was the best hundred bucks I ever spent. Mm-hmm. I used it all through law school and it was just a text file. You would type text files into it and uh, then I can take it home and plug it into a Mac and, and just dump the text into it and, and do whatever I wanted with it. But this, the, the iPad was like an advanced version of that for me when it first arrived, because suddenly you've got a very portable writing machine that can go anywhere with you and get your words easily. Mm -hmm. And, and that is something that it, it has always excelled at and will continue to excel. It's, it's only got better, Frankly, with the uh, with the uh, arrival of cloud services and file sharing in a way that allows you to have apps like Ulysses and Scrivener and, you know, even, you know, Microsoft Word and these other apps that have Dropbox or whatever, you know, file cloud file storage solutions that mean that you can pick up your words on one device and finish it on the other. I was talking to my daughter who is in in college now and she has an aged uh, iMac on her desk in her room. And then she has my old um, iPad 
and with the with the, the attached keyboard. And that's exactly it. she writes everything in pages. She just takes it for granted that the stuff is going to arrive everywhere. And I was thinking when I was her age, nothing worked that that easily. <laughs> yeah. You know, it got there when you walked the floppy disk over there, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, those little word processors are cool. I'll put a link in the show notes to one called the Alpha Smart that I did a uh, I did a video about a while back. I think hand in hand with writing is the the research side of it. So using the iPad to go out to the web to find sources, to have PDFs you're reading through, to mark up PDFs, something that in the past would have – you could do on a computer, but the iPad ma- makes it more deliberate, makes it more intimate where you can just have a bunch of resources and you can use an application like DevonThink or Evernote or something and kind of pull data in and sort through it I think is another sort of evergreen iPad use for a lot of people. Yeah. And just like, so for so many years of my career, I reviewed contracts where I had a perfectly working Mac on my desk and I never did it that way. It just never made sense. I always felt like using a pencil, you know, a red pencil to go through and and a highlighter to go through a contract was much easier and organic for me. So for the longest time, I would just print them out and do that. And maybe we would scan it and send it through or not. It depended. Uh, but it was never really a workflow uh, on a Mac. Whereas with an iPad, this is a an absolutely great workflow. And at the end, you've got a digital version, which is much easier to share and store. So it, it's, it just excels at that kind of stuff. Uh, task management is another one for me. Uh, I I feel like the 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 big boy task managers like OmniFocus, Things, and some of the other the other ones out there have really arrived on touch devices now to where uh, managing tasks on them is just better. I mean, I the other day I had left my iPad downstairs and I was up in the office and I was doing my kind of OmniFocus audit for the week where I review projects and and kind of adjust dates on some flagged items and doing that on the computer. It felt like, oh man, it just felt like I was walking through qu- uh, quicksand. You know, it just everything took longer. And, it was, you know, we're usually just giving me my iPad and my pencil and I just blast through this stuff. And I, w- I had a real battle between my desire to get this done and my uh, eagerness to not have to walk all the way downstairs to get my iPad. And, and eventually I walked downstairs. <laughs> but I did get myself a cookie because I went downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you deserve it. Yeah, I felt like, well, wait, I can get the iPad and a cookie? Well, I, I'm in. Then I'm in. Do you do your task management on Mac or iPad? Uh, I do it on the Mac throughout the week, but I always do my reviews at the end of the week on the iPad. Because it, it's nice to sit down with it again like you do with the Apple Pencil in hand. Yeah, I kind of go through what I got done this week, anything I need to reassess, go through all my projects. Uh, I find that to be very nice on the iPad is something that I've done on the iPad basically forever. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I was thinking about this this morning. I feel like there, you know, and I talked about this on the show with Sean Blanc about um, how there's like kind of the management versus production end, you know, Sean gets by a lot on his iPad, Mm -hmm. but I think he does a lot more management than production and Sean don't get mad at me. I don't mean that the way that sounds, but I uh, I got thinking about in my life, that's true as well. But the, the problem is so much of the stuff I do, like I do the hands-on screencasting. I do like when clients hire me to write, you know, transactions for them. I don't have an attorney I hand it off to. They're paying me to do it. So I, I do both production and management, if that makes sense. And But the management end of the stuff always seems like it's easier on iPad for me. Totally. I, I agree. 
I'm trying to, I'm going in base camp again. I was making fun of it last week and I realized, well, I've got this account. So I'm trying to find other ways to use it. Mm-hmm. And, and that for instance is outstanding on iPad. You know, I mean, just the, the, you can do just about anything on it. You get all the notifications you need. You can send whatever information you need. And that's a great example of an iPad app. You tried dragging me into it for the show and I, I'd said no. <laughs> it was kind of interesting for the listeners because Stephen is such a nice guy. But once in a while, you just hit a block wall. I'm like, hey, Stephen, I got this account. You want to try running MPU through Basecamp? And it was like, no. No, I'm good. It, it, it was it was no in a way that meant there will be no questions answered. <laughs> uh, I'm curious how you approach email on the iPad. So for me, as a recap, I use the standard mail.app I've used it forever it's what i like yeah uh it doesn't have a share sheet which is yeah. really frustrating sometimes but I, I like email on the ipad when i'm just responding to emails or sort of sorting through things but like a common workflow for me at work is i get an email with a receipt so, so for instance relay fm pays for slack once a month i get that invoice and i need to Download the invoice from the email, or if the invoice is the email, make a PDF of it. Go to FreshBooks, where we do our bookkeeping, enter it as an expense, and upload the PDF. I can do that on the iPad, but doing it on the Mac is about 10 times faster. And so that's something that I generally do just on the Mac. And I'm curious if you you have that line like I do where, okay, this needs to wait until I'm back at my iMac and I can open mail there. I feel like, well, first of all, I want to talk about the share sheet problem. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the Apple Mail team has like a way to log whether I'm using their app or not. And every year when they're making the list for the next iOS release, they're like, hey, is Spark still using Apple Mail? And they'll say, oh, yeah, it looks like he's active in it. Okay, we'll wait another year. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's just the way it's rolling. Like as soon as I, I finally give up on Apple Mail, They'll be like, oh, he's done? Okay, let's add it. Let's do it. Get yeah. to work. Let's get to work, guys. <laughs> Roll up your sleeves. But yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. I, I have, I've been posting a bunch of blog posts over at Max Sparky lately on um, t- Text Expander, which I just did an ad for. But Text Expander snippets, including Apple scripts, where I can like do a lot of like very fast things in email using a combination of Text Expander and Apple script. That stuff doesn't work on iPad. I mean, there is no Apple script on the iPad. And so for the longest time, I was trying to solve that problem. In fact, if you look at our outline in this, email is on both sides. It's on the things that we love and the things we hate um, because of that. It, because it's very good for basic email maintenance, moving messages, um, doing you know just doing basic email stuff. But when it comes to like the power things, like saving attachments and auto naming them and doing things like that, I have solutions for it. Um, one of the the series shortcuts I cover in the the uh, series shortcuts field guide is a series shortcut that you can take a PDF out of an email and it auto automatically adds a date, adds the name, and puts it into an appropriate file uh, folder on iCloud. You can do stuff, but it, it takes extra steps for you. So where I've kind of landed with email. And this has really been something that's been on my mind a lot lately is I almost never do it on the phone. And then I do basic stuff on the iPad. Anything that is somewhat complicated, you know, that I want to do something fancy with, um, I just flag it. And then I, I archive it. I flag and archive the message on the iPad. 
And then, you know, once a day or every couple of days, I just go on my Mac and clear out those flags. And all of those are ones where I'm running scripts or doing something that the, the Mac does way better than the iPad does. And because I run, you know, live both lifestyles here, I can do that. And, and I think that's my happy place. I'm going to stop trying to make Apple Mail on iPad do more than it really can. I think that's a good recipe to avoid frustration. Yeah. And, and it, and it's just as efficient, you know, I kind of manage the email on the iPad, but I, I don't necessarily deal with all of it. Like I, I had to go to a thing with my daughter the other day where she was doing something and I was there waiting for her for a couple hours. And I got through all of my uh, email backlog on iPad. That didn't mean I managed every piece of it though, because the stuff that I, I couldn't, rather than spending 10 times as long to try and, and make it happen on iPad, I just flagged it. And when I got back to my Mac later that day, I, uh, I took care of those flags very quickly. So that's my happy place with email. I, I think uh, it's a little bit of a rant though, so I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> um, uh, I, I like the idea, and I've said this numerous times on the show, I do like the idea of using the iPad as kind of a test for stuff that you you can do versus stuff that you may want to hand off to somebody uh when you hit production tile uh type problems that you can't do on the ipad it's a great way to ask yourself is this something i should even be doing is this something i can delegate to someone else um that's a great idea and I, i've been trying to use that more often i love giving presentations with the ipad i mean i love showing up in a room with just a piece of glass the way my setup is i have it in the smart keyboard so i prop it up you know, next to the projector, um, I plug it in and I, and, and sometimes I do the, the wireless ones, depending on the room setup. Um, I would recommend getting a remote. If you do that, uh, the one I use is the Satichi wireless presenter. It's a, it's an aluminum tube and it's got like three buttons on it. So it's really hard to screw it up. And it's a Bluetooth connection works great with the iPad and advances slides and keynote on the iPad. And I use it all the time. Um, so I, I, you know, I am not afraid at all anymore to walk in a room without a Mac to give a presentation. Uh, there are some limits. You don't get as much, uh, presenter screen information and you have a little bit less control. Uh, if you need to make last minute changes, that's usually easier on the Mac than it is on the iPad, but it's doable. But I, I just have not regretted it at all. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I don't do a ton of presentations, not, not as many as you do. Definitely. But I've just kind of done them from the Mac out of habit, and this is one that I want to spend some more time with because I, I like the idea, like you said, just coming in with this single thing and get the battery life's really good. You know, <laughs> running from a MacBook Pro, I always will make sure the MacBook Pro is plugged in and all that stuff. And yeah, there is I'm tempted by this lifestyle you were living. The the one thing I, I really like about um, the iPad in general is what I, I guess we'd call light computing. I think you wrote that in the outline, light computing with quotes around the word light it's it's just really great for that kind of stuff and the the thing i realized when i you know gave up the the laptop was i while i do some very heavy computing on my imac there's a lot of light computing in my life that can be done and as an example just the, like i said a couple of days ago i had to take my daughter somewhere and she was busy for a couple hours and i was sitting there waiting well there's a ton of things i could get done without necessarily being rendering screencasts and you know and and so that was fine and i got that stuff done and that was stuff that was off my list when i got back to my mac and went to work on what i'd call the heavy computing and and that's what this is really good for yeah for me one that falls into this category is show preparation so you know putting outlines together for shows or getting sponsor copy 
set up and all that sort of thing. It's not really writing. It's not really research. It's kind of a blend. And I like that I can just go somewhere, you know, to the other desk in my office or a coffee shop or something and and just be with my work without kind of the rest of my computer being lugged around to. And I think for a lot of people, the iPad doesn't really ever graduate from just like a really good internet browser or a social media computer. And there's nothing at all wrong with that. And for a lot of people, that's the bulk of what they're doing, right? They're doing email. They're maybe doing some photos, you know, but they're doing, you know, they're reading online, participating in forums, that sort of thing. The iPad is, is absolutely perfect for that sort of thing. But it can do more, I Way guess is more. my point. Way more. Yeah, for the for the people that don't don't realize it or, or don't want to get over that, it can do more. In fact, I think my last point and what sparks joy in the iPad for me is frankly the process. I, you know, I learned, I remember when I did all my computing with the command line. And then we got the Macintosh and I did all my computing with a graphical user interface. And for years I was learning new tricks and ways to make that work for me. And even to this day, I'm still learning tricks and new ways to make that work for me. That's why we make this show. Um, but the learn there was a brand new learning curve with this touch interface. And, and there's this constantly evolving app ecosystem that's growing around it. And Apple is making significant changes to the operating system on a semi-regular basis. So that opens up all sorts of new opportunities. I think it's just fun learning how to put these puzzle pieces together and make it work for me. And and that's just me. I mean, that's a reason, one of the reasons I make this show is I, I like to do that stuff and share, share the results of the experiments. But um, for me, the, it's such a an open sky of opportunity with new ways to do things. And, and it just delights me sometimes when I figure out a series shortcut that works better than something I was doing on my Mac for 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sense of adventure almost, or like exploration, finding ways to take something old and do it in a new way that is really refreshing. And it, one that I think is nerds like, it's just, it's just fun. It's fun to roll your sleeves up and figure out how to do something in a new context. This episode is brought to you by Eero. With Eero, you can build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored to your home. We live in a high-bandwidth world. I don't even know how many internet-connected devices are in my house. There's a whole lot of them. And to keep them all online, to keep all those people happy, you need a distributed system to make sure you get the best speeds available all throughout your house. And with Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in just a few minutes. It starts with the second-gen Eero device. It has three 5 gigahertz radios for increased speed and range. And it sits flat on any surface, and you can connect to it over Ethernet or wirelessly. And then you kind of go out from there, and you easily expand the coverage throughout your house by adding in some Eero beacons. These are small devices that plug right into the wall, allowing you to reach every corner of your home. They even have a little nightlight on them. So I have one in the hallway, and it's a nightlight and a Wi-Fi base station. It's great. And Eero now has Eero Plus. This is designed to provide simple, reliable security to help defend all those devices in your home from things like malware, phishing attempts, and unsuitable web content. Eero Plus can automatically tag sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you have a powerful parental control right at your fingertips. This is huge for me as someone with three young kids in the house. 
It includes ad blocking functionality to help improve load times for websites. And it's possible to have EuroPlus check the sites you visit against a database of millions of threats to prevent you from visiting anything malicious. EuroPlus even includes subscriptions to things like 1Password for password management, Malwarebytes for antivirus solutions, and Encrypt.me. I've been using EuroPlus for a while in my house now. It was a lot easier to set up than the previous system I was using for filtering. You know, I've got kids in the house with devices. I want to make sure they don't stumble into anything on the web. And with EuroPlus, not only do I know they're protected, but I can open the Euro app on my iPhone and I can see if one of those rules has been triggered and I can go in and see what happened, when it happened, and have more information. It's been really great to have my whole house blanketed in Wi-Fi and in Wi-Fi that I know is safe for the entire family to use. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus. Just go to Eero.com slash MPU and at checkout, use the promo code MPU. That's E-E-R-O dot com slash M-P-U and the code MPU at checkout. Our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. So we talked about sparking joy. Let's talk about sparking sorrow. And uh, and there are some things, you know, you know, the iPad isn't the answer for everyone as we keep teasing throughout this thing. And some things in particular, it's just bad at. Um, the good news is I feel like this list is getting smaller. You know, the last time we tried to approach this on the show, it was a much bigger list. Uh, but there are some things that, you know, if this is real important to you, uh, the 329 iPad isn't probably going to solve your problem. And the first one, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I feel like I talk about it almost every week on the Mac Power Users, is file management yeah. on iOS. You know, yep. <laughs> multiple files are rough. Tags are deplorable. I, you know, it's just there's a whole bunch of stuff on it that's just not great. And and I I, I, I go over these sins every week, you know, and it's because I, I love the platform and I want to see it get better. But if you do a lot of working with files, you're not going to be happy on an iPad. It is always the top of my list and one that I really hope they get right because it's the thing that I run into the most often of, you know, like my workflow I described a little while ago of taking an email, making a PDF, uploading it to the web. I've got to jump through hoops to make that happen. And it would be great if I just had like really easy to use file management tools. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about this year at WWDC, we're going to get a new home screen on the iPad and it's going to be great and going to do all these cool widgety things. I, you know, honestly, if I had to choose between file system and new home screen, it is not even close for me. I, I could care less about the home screen if the file system doesn't get better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I don't think either of us are asking for them to like copy finder from the Mac and paste it onto the oh, iPad. No. Yeah. But no. the tools that finder contains, those need to be rethought in a modern context on the iPad and files just isn't, isn't there yet. Yeah. I mean, as a, in, in the sense that the file system is a finder light that doesn't give me access to uh, user configuration files and things that I don't need to see. I think that's, that's fine. But the problems are, you know, you can't search, you know, you need to search with multiple criteria, not just uh, recent and name. You need more, um, and, and, you know, tags. I, I don't, I, like I said, I don't want to dwell on it. I go on this to, on this rant, it seems like, every time. <laughs> uh, but the uh, 
but the file system is not there and it should be. I mean, when I'm wearing my lawyer hat again, I deal with lots of documents. I go to meetings and people send me multiple spreadsheets and Word docs and files and all sorts of PDFs. And so I get, you know, all this stuff thrown at me and I need to quickly manage it. And that's the one place that the iPad always drags me down. Even though they've, they've made some improvement, it's not there yet. Uh, email, we already kind of talked about the pluses and kind of the minuses. It, it's, you know, it, it doesn't have something like Apple Script or Text Expander. Um, there are some solutions around it. For example, I do a thing with my clients where when we need to do minutes for the corporation, it, I, you know, it triggers a OmniFocus task. And um, I have created a series shortcut that in essence creates it creates an email that the text is already written and it does some fill in stuff with Siri shortcuts, which is kind of an automation, but all that stuff is, is just way easier on Mac. And, and I'm getting to the point where I don't even want to try to do it on iPad anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's as disappointing. It's not what you want to hear from a platform that you want to use, but again, this yeah. is the spark sorrow section. So I'll let it slide. Yeah, We're, <laughs> we're going to unload here, baby. Uh, browser limitations. It's just, there's no excuse. I mean, the browse Safari should be the same on both platforms, yes. on Mac and, and iOS. And and I still run into problems where, you know, it's just a, a smaller version of Safari. It's not strong enough. Yeah. It's simple things like a download manager, right? You got to – yeah, I keep iCab around on my iPhone and iPad because it has some of these features. It can – does a better job at convincing websites. It's a desktop browser. It has a download manager and Safari just feels like, you know, I know like the, the rendering engine, like the JavaScript performance, all that's better and better all the time, right? That every year they talk about how much faster Safari is like, that's fine, but we need these features that are built in around the browser. And, and that's a frustrating experience when, you you know you try to go download a spreadsheet or something and it just doesn't know what to do or it does it does something based on the apps you have installed and it's not where you want it to go and this need more control over um whatever it's you know trying to to figure out on its own uh, you mentioned yeah. the desktop browser thing and i think that's really interesting too you can force on ios if you long press on the reload icon, the refresh icon in Safari, you can say, say reload as desktop, but that only works sometimes. And there are websites, including ones that I use every day, that just require a cursor for whatever, because it's an older website or there's something unique about that just doesn't work with touch. Part of that is to blame on Apple and part of it's to blame on whoever built the website. Like it's all... That vary that ratio varies depending on what it is, but too too many times I end up you know with something that I I can almost do or it's like really janky to do it on an iPad where a Mac would just do it without breaking a sweat. Yeah, it needs to be desktop class, not just you know in name only, and uh, and it's just not there. I feel like that's something that they could improve on. Another one is kind of unfair to the iPad, but you know it's just the idea of screen size. I mean, even if you get the big iPad. The biggest screen you're going to have is one of the smallest laptops you can buy. You know, I sit here right now and I've got a 27 inch screen with another like 24 inch screen sitting next to it. And they're all throwing data at me and information as I record this podcast. 
um, that you're not going to get that with an iPad. I mean, if an iPad, if they made a 27 inch iPad, what a, what a great thought experiment, right? You know, could you work on it? Would it be better if they had a, you know, an iMac size iPad that sat stationary on your desk? I think it'd be cool to check it out. But I think a lot of the other problems we've talked about, you know, the file system still is jinky and doesn't work very well. And, you know, there's still things that need to be fixed, but, but the, the Mac, you get this advantage with screen size with a Mac that you just can't get with an iPad. And that could be a deal killer for some people. Like if you like to work with big spreadsheets next to big spreadsheets, even with a 12.9 inch iPad, you're not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a bigger iPad would be great, but in some ways it may make the frustration bigger too. <laughs> it's like I can still only do three apps at a time. Yeah, have you ever seen that that big iMac size touchscreen uh, PC that Microsoft makes? Yes, That's, the, I think it's called the Surface Pro. The Surface it, Studio. And Studio, and it, it's incredible. <laughs> I, I want the I, iMac I, to be that. Oh no, I went and played with one in the Microsoft store and it's great. So if you haven't seen this, it's an iMac size screen, but they've got a real ingenious hinge in the base so you can rotate it down so it's almost like a drafting table uh you know, angle that you can work on and that's great, but it's still Windows, you know, and it's still like the operating system is not right. I mean, I don't know that the Mac OS would make sense like that, but an iPad that you could have that size with a few more fixes, um, if they fix some of these issues, I think it could be very intriguing. I would say, though, I'm going to skip back to things that cause joy. I'm sorry, I'm breaking your your streak of sorrow, but the screen size <laughs> made me think about text size, right? So people want yeah. bigger screens, so their text can be bigger, and that's totally legitimate. But iOS does a really good job at scaling things up, a better job, a way better job, honestly, than the Mac does. And so from that yeah. accessibility standpoint iOS wins over macOS every day of the week. And the the iPad in particular can become a really useful device with those accessibility options turned on for a really wide range of people, a much wider range of people than many other devices out there. And that's something that Apple, I think, is rightfully proud of and one that I know I find really inspiring thinking about the things that I make of like, are they accessible? Can everybody use them? The iPad leads the way in that, definitely over the Mac and a larger screen size would make that even more so for some people in some circumstances. And I think that's something that Apple takes really seriously. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, another pain point to bring back the sorrow. Is, Sorry. Yes, is we'll ke- get back to that. It's <laughs> key- keyboard shortcuts and control. Um, it just, it's not there yet. It should be. We've had these keyboards attached to the iPad for a long time. There's a lot of stuff that you just cannot do without touching the screen. And I feel like it, this could be a totally hidden lair. Um, people who aren't interested in this stuff could never know it's there, but it needs to be built in through the operating system. I think this is both on Apple and app developers, but we should have full control of that operating system with the keyboard or, or very close to full control and full control of the apps with a keyboard. Uh, I, I really want to be able to use it without lifting my hands off the keyboard. Definitely. And something that I, I love on the Mac is you can customize them. So I have keyboard shortcuts that are tied to menu items that aren't built by the developer, right? You can do that in system preferences. And the iPad, well, A, doesn't have a menuing system, let alone a way to customize keyboard shortcuts or to change them or add them. And you'll be surprised what you find, but it's still not enough Yeah, in almost any apps. Yeah. Uh, Multiple app instances. The other day I was working in an app. Now, Safari kind of has this, but I was working in Word. And wouldn't it be great, because I had two documents I was working on, 
I've got a 12.9 inch iPad screen. Wouldn't it be great if I could have both documents open at the same time? Something I do on my Mac every day, you know, and it's just not there yet. And I know this is one of the rumored features we're going to get in June. I sure hope we do, because it seems like after this many years, that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, (laughs) put it on the list of things of like, why? Why is it this way? I mean, it's that way because of history, right? That's the way that the iPhone was. But the iPad is not the iPhone, and it should graduate past that. Um, One that's related to this for me is always running apps. So things like we talked about a couple weeks ago with our minibar apps. Utilities are things that are always running, always doing things. And the iPad just doesn't have... A mindset or a framework for something like Hazel or Text Expander to be running all the time. You know, there are ways around that with like keyboard integration and some other things, but some of these utilities just can't run on uh, an iPad because the iPad has no no idea of like what an always running background app would be, and it would be a nice feature for power users who are used to things sort of happening automatically in the background like we've spoken about, but it's just not it's just not a thing in the iOS universe. Yeah, I agree. And and you know, this whole thing of the iPad being a big iPhone is something that Apple just needs to get over. I mean, it's not that anymore. It's something different. And and it kind of gets to the root of my complaints. I wish there was a team of iPad zealots at my at at, at Apple that did nothing but try and make it better, you know, used it to get their work done and, and went after these problems aggressively. It just doesn't feel like that happens. And I know from the outside, it's easy to say that, but um, I sure would like to see progress made annually on the iPad with those types of problems being solved and, and just accept that, you know, even though this doesn't make sense on a phone, we could still make it work for iPad. That's okay. Hey, I want to take a minute to talk about our friends over at Luna Display. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our awesome friends at Luna Display. They are makers of the only hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. And that means that you'll have a second display that's super portable with basically zero lag and a gorgeous image quality. So um, I talked about this in the past. I use it all the time when we're recording episodes. Like I've got Luna Display right now showing all my recording tools over here to my left. And it allows me to keep the the screen available for the content that we're producing uh, right in front of my face. Um, But I also use this even more portably. The other day, I've been working on these screencast updates. You can't do that on an iPad, or can you? Because I was doing some manual work on them. And I just got tired of being in my office. So I just had Luna display and went in the other room and sat on the couch. But it was connected to my Mac. So I was driving my Mac from my iPad. I guess that's something we should have added to the outline for today. Because you can actually do that. You can drive a Mac with an iPad with a Luna display connected wirelessly. It's great. You just plug in a small bit of hardware into your Mac and you're good to go. Uh, Plus, everything works over Wi-Fi. So... Uh, if you're a busy person, you might be traveling without a Wi-Fi connection. There's no worries with that either. You can just connect with the USB. It's super simple to get set up and you'll love the extra screen real estate. Luna Display is a complete extension to your Mac. It supports external keyboards as well as the Apple Pencil and touch interactions. It basically turns your Mac into a touchscreen device. And with the all-new Liquid Video Engine, brings significantly reduced latency and a faster screen refresh rate. 
Listeners of Mac Power users can get an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code POWER, P-O-W-E-R, that's us, at checkout. That's lunadisplay.com and promo code POWER at checkout. Go there now, upgrade your setup. You're going to love it at lunadisplay.com. Promo code POWER and get 10% off. Our thanks to Luna Display for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So let's talk about data a little bit. We talked about file management a second ago, but I think it's worth a conversation on its own. You know, we we live in a world of Google Docs and social media, but a lot of us, even those of us who aren't lawyers, we have files to deal with, right? We have documents, we have photos, we have all these things, and where does the iPad fit into that? You know, it has a very different approach to some of this than the Mac does. I mean, it was horrible for a long time, but it's much better now uh, with the Files app. I mean, as much as I complain about it, they got a lot of things right. It's got native access to your iCloud storage if you're using iCloud. And it allows these third-party developers to plug into it like Dropbox. You know, although those interactions aren't all necessarily the same. But, you know, you've got file access. No longer do we have to get a copper cable and plug it into a Mac to get files onto it. Yeah, I I find it a little frustrating that files doesn't do a better job at local, like local data. You have the on my iPad folder, but it's not everything treats that way. Like you could like the desktop and find it. I just need somewhere to like temporarily save this. A lot of times you're round tripping through Dropbox or something. And that can be a little frustrating, but I was so excited when I saw files and they said, yes, Dropbox and Box and OneDrive, all these things can plug into it. And I'm glad those companies have done that because it does make files a more useful place, but it's time for Apple to bring it to the next level. It feels to me like local storage on the iPad is an afterthought yes. in files. It's not, I mean, their their true intention is that you use cloud storage on that thing all the time. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really what they, what they want. Um, there are some local things you can do, though. You can deal with, you know, importing um, photos from an SD card. We talked about those adapters earlier, where you plug it in and it import to photos. And if you then if you have iCloud Photo Library, it will sync those. But you can import those. But there's no way to bring in files from an SD card or a USB hard drive or anything like that. Which I really that's at the top of my list for file management for iOS 13 because it would make things a lot easier for a lot of people, but it is, uh, it's not there yet. And it's one that, you know, maybe in the lightning world, it was made more sense, but now that has USB-C on the side of it, it's like, I just want to plug in a drive and be able to navigate it in the files app. Yeah. Just, just for the listeners, uh, Steven's entering the outline says USB storage, LOL. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it, it did say some other things, but I decided to clean it up. No, <laughs> it's just not there. And again, it's, it's time. And that really gets to this idea of the the lacking in production and stuff. Like, wh- who needs USB storage to move a file? Like, if you've got a Word document, cloud storage is fine. It's instantaneous. But what if you've got an AIF recorded audio that's two gigabytes, you know? And that's obviously where you need to be able to to plug in a wire and move those files. It's it's to the production stuff. And I feel like that, in addition to improving the file system, the iPad needs to stretch its its boundaries into production. Mm-hmm. It would be... It, the, the hardware's there, right? The, the underlying current to all this is like the hardware can do it. 
it's fast yeah. enough, but they've got to open up the software. Um, it can do other things, right? You have AirDrop, which in my experience at least has gotten way better and more reliable over the years. Um, I don't know if that's yeah. true for everybody, but especially for me, like between the Mac and iOS, it feels pretty solid at this point. I use that uh, actually all the time with my wife to like sling photos and stuff around. It's it's great just to, hey, open AirDrop, let me send it to you, and now you have it. Have you noticed, uh, like I've noticed in my life, a lot of people who would never listen to a show like Mac Power Users that have embraced AirDrop, that like mm-hmm. that has suddenly made it into the mainstream. It, it has. It, it definitely has. And I even I even had a tweet from somebody after our show in Chicago saying, hey, AirDrop is open to everybody on your MacBook Pro. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. thanks for not, you know, photobombing me with something. But yeah, you just go like any public place, like a train or a grocery store or whatever, and just open AirDrop and you'll be surprised how many people have it open. I think it, I think it has sort of permeated the culture in a way that maybe something like Apple pay cash, which I tried using with a friend the other day. And they were like, well, what is that? <laughs> it's like, okay, that's not there yeah. yet, but AirDrop has made it out into the world. Yeah, it has. Mm-hmm. And and so, I mean, I think moving data between these devices is a lot easier than it should be. Like, but, but like many things in this show, it's not as far along as I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the USB connection is one. Um, I'm not, so hung up on the local storage thing because I don't want to have local storage on my iPad. Really, I, I try not to save anything locally because the whole idea is I do something temporarily on my iPad, but then I get back to my Mac and it's there for me. That's kind of the premise of the show is that it's everywhere. Um, but the but I do feel like you certainly need to to find a solution for big file management that doesn't involve waiting for it to sync for, you know, 45 minutes over the internet. I think I'm just looking for options. You know, if I need something temporary or, or something like that. Print printing, printing is so much better yes. on iPad than on Mac. <laughs> I mean, it just, it just works all the time for me. I've never had any issue. Whereas my Mac with my brother printer downstairs, sometimes it works, and sometimes I have to reinstall the driver, and there's really no explanation why. It's 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 really straightforward, and you can use something like Printopia if you have a, a Mac and a printer that isn't supported by iOS. But at this point, I would imagine that if you're buying a new printer, most consumer printers, or at least a lot of them, support AirPrint, which is the printing from iOS. And I use it. All the time, because again, the types of things I'm doing on the iPad, sometimes I do need to print a document when I'm done with it, or I'm looking at something, going over something, and I want to print it and and read through it physically, and uh, it works really well. And just like the Mac, you can actually make a PDF from that print screen, which is really handy uh, if your app doesn't have a share sheet, mail, but uh yeah, I don't do a lot of printing, but when I do, it's I've never had it fail on an iPad. And you're right, like on a Mac, sometimes just like, oh, that didn't work, and I don't, I don't really know why it didn't work. And then you're off yeah, to the races. It just happened to me over the weekend. My daughter had some music she needed to print for her, and I had the PDF. I was sitting at my Mac. I pressed the print button, and the printer's like, oh, oh, silly, not today. We're not going to print today. Yeah. You know, I'm out for coffee. Knew- Please try again later. I- I knew I could have probably got it running some sort of, you know, throw salt over the right shoulder or whatever thing. But the uh, but I didn't have time. She wanted to leave. 
So my solution was it was already in iCloud. I just opened up my phone, found the file, pressed print, and it printed. You know, <laughs> and that's something that I'd like to see find its way back to the Mac. Mm-hmm. What about automation? Um, I think this is something that a lot of people um, are afraid of on iOS. We just did an episode of Automators with John Syracuse, and he makes a real compelling argument on that episode about, hey, the Mac is always going to be better for automation. And, you know, we were talking about Apple events and, you know, just Apple has such deep integration into the operating system. An app like Keyboard Maestro could never exist on an iOS device. Uh, And it will not in five years or 10 years or 20 years. You're never going to get Keyboard Maestro. Um, but you still can do automation on iOS. I, I think this one is kind of a wash. Uh, I, I think I would give it to the Mac if you have, if you've been using automation in the past, but I'd say if you're new to it, if you're, if you're just starting out with automation, I would say it's a wash because shortcuts is so powerful. I'm actually putting in the show notes, uh, Federico and his team over at Mac Stories have just put together this giant archive of shortcuts. It's like 150 yes. examples, and it's incredible. And shortcuts, I think, is easier to learn than some way easier to learn than something like Apple Script. But even Automator is clunky in ways that shortcuts isn't, and is limited in ways that shortcuts isn't. And so, if you're starting out, I would say it's it's a wash. The Mac has more power user-centric things, but the reality is even the most extreme power users can automate iOS with shortcuts just fine, right? And on the Mac, you kind of have to step up to something like AppleScript to do certain types of things. And so I think shortcuts is a a modern take on automation in the Apple platform. I don't know if we'll ever see it or something like it come to the Mac, but as far as starting out, I think it's way more accessible and approachable to learn. And with something like the shortcuts archive on Mac stories, you can download something that's like close to what you want and you could tinker with it and make it work and, and build on what other people have built. And that sort of collaboration is really cool. I think I agree with like everything you just said, because like <laughs> if, if the, um, if the, if the automator team had the resources poured into it, that shortcuts got, it could have become that for the Mac, but it never did. You know, I mean, like app integration on, on the automator on the Mac is limited, but then when you go on the upper end, like, like something like keyboard maestro or Apple script, I mean, I, I can make my Mac do all sorts of crazy stuff that I could never get an iOS device to do. But then for people who don't want to go down that rabbit hole, um, it is a lot easier to automate things on iOS, just basic things like create an email or, or some of the, the stuff we've been talking about throughout the show with Siri shortcuts. And I expect Siri shortcuts like the rest of iOS is only going to get better. I mean, I don't think they're going to stop with the update they're working on right now. I, I think it has a bright future. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about what Apple's doing with it. I just hope a lot of people use it so Apple keeps funding it. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I don't want it to become the thing that Apple loses interest in. Mm-hmm. I want it to I don't need them to continue on this. Sure. Any anyway, so you know, I mean the the idea of today's show once you got to the end of the show is you'd have enough information to know whether you were a person that could use an iPad as a mobile device. Um I I do it. I'm pretty happy with it. There are days that I wish I had a laptop, you know. And um uh, not that many, not enough in order to justify the expense. Um, 
And, you know, I've, I've made compromises like the way I handle email. Sometimes a more complex or automation-friendly email just doesn't get handled until I get in front of a Mac. But uh, I'm pretty happy with what, the way things are going. I think it's only going to get better. Uh, I think so, too. And I think even if it's – I want it to be faster than every other year. But even if it is, at least so far Apple has made meaningful changes every 24 months. So – I, I yeah, hope that they're. Like I hope that they're listening to user feedback, and like we're not the only ones with these complaints, and we're not the only ones praising the iPad in the areas we're praising it. Apple knows where the iPad's strengths and weaknesses are, so I hope they continue to chip away at that at that naughty list. Yeah, I just hope they put the resources behind it that it deserves, and I'd like to turn that twenty-four month into a twelve-month, you know, turnaround. Absolutely. And, significant updates. I think that would really go a long way towards making the platform something special. And honestly, right now, Apple has such a lead on platform on tablet hardware. I mean, there's just nothing out of like there. This thing benchmarks against a MacBook Pro. I mean, nobody else, you know, no other platform has hardware that is as powerful. If I was Apple, I mean, I would be putting a lot of energy into really just making the iPad the dominant tablet going into this next generation because there's going to be a lot of people in the next 10 years that are going to be moving into tablets so why not make it the best one anyway uh that's uh i whine about this stuff way too much i'm going to stop (laughs) um let us know what you think there's already a great thread going on in the forums as i was prepping the outline I, i put a question out and there was lots of good feedback some of it got incorporated in the show so thank you if you gave us something that we added um, the, uh, thank you to our sponsors, uh, Sanebox, Smile, Eero, Luna Display. Uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over on relay.fm slash MPU. Anything exciting going on over at 512 Pixels lately, Stephen? Uh, yeah, I just published a video. Uh, I talked about it last episode, but it is about the dog cow, a weird little yeah, part of Apple's history. That. So I'll put a link to that in the so show notes. Much. I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, and I, n- nothing too exciting at my end. I've just been working my tail off trying to get that Siri shortcuts update out. So now I'm going to breathe. Maybe I'll even go get a sandwich after we stop recording. Do it. All right. See you all next week. <laughs>